country of Indonesia. Do they like me in Indonesia? 100% confident Indonesia will prevail. Hello and welcome to Talking Indonesia. My name is Gemma Purdy. Recently, a number of high-profile cases have highlighted growing concerns about academic freedoms in Indonesia amid a more general shrinking of public space for open and critical speech. Last month, the jailing of Dr. Saiful Madi from Shakwala University in Aceh under the draconian law on electronic information and transactions, known as ITE, brought condemnation from academics and civil rights groups across the country, as well as from outside it. President Joko Widodo's decision to grant an amnesty for this case was met with general agreement that authorities had overreached and the right to free speech was violated in this case. However, this is but one example of such pressures and punishments being exerted on academics and students during the Jokowi administration. And whilst the government have acknowledged the need for reforms of the ITE law, which has posed an even greater threat to those whose job it is to think critically like academics, serious structural, legal and cultural restrictions remain in place within the higher education sector and beyond. What is driving these limits on academic freedom? And what impact has the ITE law had in particular? What topics are off-limits? And is this development part of Indonesia's broader democratic decline? My guest today is Dr. Robertus Robert from Jakarta State University. Hi Robert, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Talking Indonesia. Hi Gemma, hi everybody. Thank you so much. It's, um, it's great to have you. And I can't believe it's the first time you've been on our podcast. Long overdue. Can you give us an overview of the current state of academic freedom in Indonesia? Yeah, uh, along with the deterioration of the nation's democracy and the shrinking civic space, Indonesia's academic landscape had also been facing significant decline over the years. Both students and academics who adopted a critical stance toward the government and also top management of their faculty or university have been repressed and they get sanctioned and endure various administrative pressure as the result of their actions. For example, in University of Gajah Mada, a public discussion held by students of the Constitution Law Society regarding the presidential term of office from constitutional framework ended up being muzzled while the organizer and their family were terrorized. Uh, and also in Aceh province, a lecturer in the University of Shahkwala, Dr. Shaiful Mahdi, a friend of us, was imprisoned for a message he sent in a WhatsApp group pertaining to the possibility of corruption taking place in his faculty. And similarly, Ramsyah Tasrudin, if I'm not wrong, a lecturer in the Alauddin Islamic State University in Makassar, South Sulawesi, was also reported to the police for criticizing faculty management who opted to shut down the campus radio. In Semarang as well, before that case happened, Sucipto, a lecturer from UNES Semarang, yeah, Semarang State University, after complaining and criticizing the government on his Facebook page a few years before, 
were also reported to the police. Just because they are asking or discussing something about an ongoing corruption case in their university. So yeah, this is the situation of uh, Indonesian academic freedom, I suppose. Wow, that's a compelling list of cases there. You spoke of the academics, but also the university students facing curbs on dissent. Do you think that students and academics are being treated differently to others when they criticise the government or state institutions or not? This is also the case in Sumatra, where students also reported to have endured academic sanctions to expulsion for criticising directors. While some students internat, they were expelled and criminalized for partaking in protests surrounding the political problem and human rights abuses in West Papua. So in this case, yeah, well, I think both students and academics, they face the same threat yeah, within these political situations. In the case of students, as we since during the great protests in 2019 during the omnibus law and protests on the revision of the KPK anti-corruption commission law. For the first time in Indonesian history after reformations, there are two students that they fatally wounded yeah, in Indonesia. Yeah. In this case, the murder of the two students in Sulawesi, this is the first case after Indonesian reformations when the state used uh, such kinds of, of violence and, uh, and fatally killed the students. So in that sense, uh, we might say that there is quite a, a degree of, power, of force that been used to students because they are protest in mass, a group mass, while the academics, they usually make protests with chat or with discussion or with uh, political statement in, in mass media. Uh, yeah, I think in terms of the political situation, it's the same, but the risk is quite different because students are in the field yeah, during the protest. Yeah, so the risks are pretty extreme when they're out in the field. Yeah. There's also risks for academics, as you say. What sorts of pressures and indeed punishments are people facing in the extreme cases you mentioned already? People have been sent to prison. Is there also more insidious kind of punishments, you know, day-to-day things that are happening that are restricting the way that academics speak out or voice concerns? Yeah, as happened to Saiful Mahdi, criticisms can lead to imprisonments. And in the case of student internate, they are not only dismissed. Yeah, this is very, it's very pity because their right uh, to education uh, is uh, avoided. Yeah. In student internate, they also face law and court. In Jogja, uh, the family member of the lecturer and student who hold uh, the discussion on the dismissal of the present experience, terror and pressure. So the, the pressure is not only targeted to the student or the academic involved in a direct activity, but also to their family as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it seeps into the broader community that there is this risk. The criticisms are, are they typically criticisms of the university management and of the institutions of state? This is a very interesting phenomena, uh, I think, in the last eight years of the Joko Widodo era, yeah, because what we see today is that there is, a, how to say, symbiosis mutualism between the state and the university governance, uh, university bureaucracy, and how they use the law, especially the law on information and electronic transactions yeah, to suppress the academic freedom. So what we see in the last eight years is that there is a phenomena that even for very small matters, the university bureaucracy, especially the university leaders, they can utilize law to suppress the academics and the students. So uh, they become personalized, their power. So for example, in Saiful Madi case, this very small and how to say it, it is very 
it's very common side of the academic world yeah to this kind of uh, expression but the way campus bureaucracy respond to this kind of criticism is unbelievable yeah so they taking every criticism to be personal so why this kind of attitudes appears in indonesian academic atmosphere at the moment i think it is because two reasons the first is they are now become uh, culturally and casually enjoy the power that come from generated from the state power since the bureaucratic building of the university have a link heavily to the government and the second is there is a law that can be used by them yeah to utilize to pursue their own personal interest and personal power yeah so these two tools the power generated from the government and the law draconian law that can be used it make a combination of problem and pressure in the academic life you've recently been writing and researching on this topic can you give us some context about the relationship between the universities and say the ministry of education the government itself and particularly you've pointed out the way that rectors of universities are appointed and how that's playing into this Yeah as we know that especially for the state university the government especially the ministry of education they have 35% block vote to appoint a rector of that university so in that sense whether we like it or not the university belong to the state because in practice although uh, maybe the other analysis so it is only 35% you still have 65% independence but in the reality 35% block vote is very big because of that vote usually the rector candidate they have already how to say it, they make an adjustment they already make adjustment to get this 35 block vote and when a candidate have already got blessing from the minister then they will got the other 65% from the university senate yeah this is the common practice Mm, yeah. Well, you know, we we've been talking a lot about the illiberal turn in Indonesia, this authoritarian turn, a democratic decline. So is academic freedom also deteriorating as part of this phenomenon or do you think that this has been the case for some time? In context of Jokowi Dodo, I think the first pressure on university is really linked with how the state try to push away uh, what they call Islamic populism. So at the times there is a concern from the government that university has been really influenced by the rise of the Islamic uh, population for example in certain university the mass organizations like Hizbut Tahrir Indonesia is quite strong uh, they are growing in some university and also in some university for example the other groups of muslim student organizations that link with some hardliner islamic group So this kind of concerns may create the certain political response from the government to suppress this kind of organization using university bureaucratic. The problem is this kind of authority used by the university bureaucracy for other interests. Yeah, for example, what we have seen in Semarang, the argument to suppress, for example, the anti-Pancasila discourse in university is used to suppress every critical activity from the academics. So there is a lot of political generalizations just to put every criticism in one basket. So if you criticize the government, then you belong to this political camp, something like that. Then they ignore the fact that university is a place for criticisms. So uh, this is the beginning of the pressure on the academic freedom. And right after that, uh, year by year, yeah, this kind of attitude has become much more extensive and the pressure is not only to the certain group or certain individual that have been linked with the certain religious hardliner group but also to every criticisms in academic life 
Right. And are we seeing these curbs on, on academic freedom impact on research, what you can research, what you can teach? Uh, not in the, how to say it, not in a forceful way in terms of the research, yeah. But in Indonesia at the moment, for the research that been funded directly by the government in the university, there, there's usually such kind of quote-unquote wisdom, something like that. You don't make a, a research proposal that directly criticize the government. Yeah, so, but you have to make research proposals that have been constructive. Constructive to the development. So if you want to criticize, then you have to put it in much more soft fashion. So uh, it can be accepted by the assessor, something like that. So they don't directly uh, forbid this, forbid that. Yeah, or if you have a criticism, then they uh, punish you. No, they don't do like that. But if you put uh, for example, you, you put uh, your title critic on the Indonesian illiberal uh, democratic, uh, you have a lot of question then. Right. Okay. So, I mean, this it sounds like this is something that Indonesian academics were doing maybe back in the New Order period and were being careful with language and nuance and yeah, yeah so it's, it's yeah, a little yeah. bit like, like that. that. Yeah. Mm. And okay, what about teaching? Are you finding that there's freedom to speak or do you feel you have to curb what you say in class? In my personal experience, I haven't faced any. But if you see uh, from the much uh, wider picture, yeah, there are three issues that the academic should be careful to. Because why? Because at the moment, a lot of teaching is conducted online. And sometimes students put it broadcast. You know? So everybody can see the way we teach and the substance of the material we, we, we taught to the student. So it's, uh, we have to be very careful because from the Indonesian experience, there's a lot of issues that have been constructed as politically sacred. So we have to be careful. So for example, in the case of history of violence in 1965, yeah, uh, we have to be very careful when we trying to give a lecture openly in public in this crazy Zoom uh, world at the moment yeah, in, in teachings. The second is the issue of individual freedom, especially uh, individual freedom that relate religion and sexual freedom. So for open expression about sexual freedom, LGBTQ, if you put in the wrong way, then we have a big problem in it. The third issue is on the human right in relation with the collective right, for example, in Papua case, especially in Papua, I mean, yeah, Papua is very risky. However, with the enactment of the law on internet and electronic transactions, pressure and attack on academic freedom can also come from trivial issues. So I can also have a problem. Yeah. So a quick chat on WhatsApp group or a statement of complaint on social media can get something into trouble yeah, with the police. Yeah. So the law can be a tool, uh, official, something like that, yeah. So, uh, yeah. That law has made it so much more difficult. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because of the communications technology and then compounded by the fact that during the pandemic we are using the electronic communications. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about the ITAE in a minute and about the government's proposals or reforms for that. But I wanted to ask you first about issue here that we have of the connections or the relationship between the university administration and bureaucracy and the state. And in recent weeks, there's been concern expressed about the fact that Jokowi has appointed Megawati as the yeah. steering committee for BRIN, which is the National Research 
and Innovation Agency. What do you think about that? There's concern that this will facilitate even greater political interference than what you've already outlined. Well, I think from the early beginnings, the political motive of pointing Megawati is to, how to say, to put a rigorous political ideological pathway for Indonesian's research and academic life. Yeah. So uh, this is kind of the close ideological discourse that been imposed to the academic life. And I think basically this is really on contrast with the basic foundation of the academic freedom and also university freedom because the life of university is really, it must be based on open thinking and freedom. Yeah. So the university life cannot be imposed by certain way of thinking. So this is not good for the academic life. This is the first argument. And the second argument is the use of a close ideological pathway to conduct research can create much more anti-forens discourse in Indonesian's academic and research life. Yeah? For example, the sense of much more strong nationalistic stance, that the data is belong to our national interest, that this source should be used by our national benefit. For a certain kind of point of view, this is okay. But the implication of this kind of discourse makes the Indonesian's research and academic life enclosed, become a closed system. Yeah? So they cannot make wide and open dialogue with the, uh, the other uh, source of academic life. Right, yeah. So, I mean, as you say, it, it's acceptable to a point to have to make a case that research is in the national interest or is somehow working yeah. towards the development of the nation. That is the same anywhere, I think, you know. Yeah. In Australia, for example, if you apply for for research grants, that is a box that must be ticked. But you're saying that it is inhibiting and limiting the kinds of research and with whom Indonesian researchers are going to be able to work. So Megawati, her appointment, was it a surprise, a complete surprise, or was this something that was foreshadowed? I'm not surprised, folks. Even when Joko Widodo won his first term from this political statement and political rhetoric, the use of national rhetoric is quite strong at the beginning. So uh, in that sense, the use of the much more close ideological terms to direct the research and academic life can also be detected from the beginning, I think. Mm. And so, I mean, that's why it's interesting, isn't it? We've been talking about the Saiful Madi case. And a few weeks ago, Jokowi signed a letter to grant an amnesty to Saiful, which was passed by the DPR. What do you make of that? And the statement that um, the Minister Mahfoud gave at the time, the reasons for it, what did they say? And do you think that that is signalling anything significant? Yeah, uh, hopefully, uh, this is is a wish, that uh, they know that how the draconian laws, such as the ETA law, not only very bad for the academic freedom, but also very inefficient. The Saifulomadi case is a really good example how a very daily statement expression create a lot of national debate and the president have to use his authority to give an amnesty and the, the legislative body, they have put this kind of agenda in their assembly, something like that. So this is useless. This kind of uh, legal process is useless i think yeah and uh, create a lot of inefficiency yeah, a lot of a lot of problem yeah so in that sense uh, my proposal is the first is of course we uh, indonesia uh, must revise the ita law uh, and it deteriorate indonesian democracy very deep the ita law indonesia must reform the ita law 
And the second is there should be also a kind of memorandum of understanding between the academic with the police because uh, you know the entry point of the ETA is the police. So if the police said this is not criminal case, then the case will be dismissed. So there should be a deep discussion between the prominent academics in Indonesia to the police that create a kind of a memorandum of understanding that if the discourse shares is in the context of academic life, academic discourse, there should not be any criminalizations in that matter. Yeah. So yeah. something that Mahfoud said at the time when he first made the statement saying Jokowi was going to grant the amnesty, he commented that all Saiful had done was criticize the university and that that was definitely not something that should have been punished in the way that it was punished. Um, but as you say, it's so yeah. efficient. There are so many of these cases. Yeah. 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 Because before Saiful Madi, there's a lot of cases that are quite the same. And after the Saiful Madi, there is no guarantee that there will be no any kind of punishment like that. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't mean a precedent is set now because yeah. Jokowi would be very busy writing uh, letters. Yeah. 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 So there are plans to reform the law. The government has recognized that it is flawed. In much more quote unquote constructive uh, way of thinking, the act of the amnesty by the president should be interpreted as an act of to repairing the law itself, to, yeah, to criticize, to reconstruct the law. So this is not a personal act, but this is the act to reform the law. Should yeah. Be like that. So a signal of these yeah. kinds of limits. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So you've already given us an outline of the kinds of topics that appear to be, I don't know, off limits for public expression. Um, you mentioned a few of them, like 65, like Papua, LGBTQI. Do you think there's some groups in society that are more likely to face repression if they speak out publicly? Yeah, yeah. Well, we have to see by experience. Yeah, I think just a certain issue that put much more risk if you speak publicly in Indonesia. Yeah, but the the risk is very contextual. For example, if the Papua case is up now, then if you speak on Papua in much more criticized, yeah, then you will have a problem because you know because this is the the new social media realized that uh, much more widely. So the attention to public and also the attention of the government on your statement is even greater. But the classical case is especially on LGBT because in that sense, the government and also in social organization outside the government, they still have a similarity. For example, if you speak on 1965 now, then risk coming from mass organization or a certain power group in society used by a certain group in the state. But the government sometimes will also defend you Yeah, in 1965 case. But if you speak loudly on LGBT rights, not only social organization or uncivil organization in society, but also the government will also attack. My underlying point is that with the ITLO, I think it's quite uh, difficult to manage really which kind of issue that are safe or not safe. Because uh, the uh, draconian character of the law can make everybody who have power put you in the risky situation if they feel they are personally criticized or personally attacked, something like that. You've written about how there's actually a deterioration in the kinds of protections for uh, academics, but is there anything that exists that does protect the rights of academics to have free and critical expression? <laughs> well, this is the basic problem of Indonesian academic freedom, I suppose, that the, the academic freedom and autonomous academic freedom and academic forum in Indonesian legal terms 
is, is actually mentioned in the law on higher education. Yeah. But the protection of academic freedom is paradoxically itself limited with the other sentence within the law that the academic freedom should also parallel with law, with national interest, with the condition of the Indonesian spirituality and culture, something like that. So, yeah, it's uh, academic freedom with a lot of conditions. So, Robert, what changes need to be made, do you think, to maintain academic freedom? What kind of advocacy is needed? Yeah, well, there are several levels of advocacy, I think. The first is the political advocations. Based on Indonesian history, the wider academic freedom could only be achieved through process of political change in Indonesia. So, for example, academic life in Indonesia enjoy much a greater space when student movement overthrow the Suharto regime. So this is, uh, this is the academic freedom raised by the political reformations. So academic freedom really, really depend on, for example, the student movement and the academic movement. So in that sense, uh, the very basic condition of the academic freedom advocacy is the consolidated uh, student movement and consolidated academic movement in Indonesia. And in this point, although some criticisms state that the student movement in Indonesia is no longer greater as 1990 student movement, but during 2019 and 2020, the student protests play a bigger role. So the hope is still coming from the student movement, I think. And the appearance of the independence or academic organizations such as AKIKA, for example, yeah. Caucus Indonesia untuk kebebasan akademik di Indonesian Caucus for Academic Freedoms. This is an organization across university is also play a big role during the last two years. Yeah, advocating the academic freedoms. Yeah, uh, in this sense, there's also hope. And the second is in human rights and legal advocacy. The good development today is that the organizations such Kika and also the student movement they now have a good linkage with the human rights and advocacy organizations such as LBH, Contras, ICW. Yeah. So, and the, uh, as far as I know, the communications and the dialogue is very deep yeah, and the linkage is very strong. Are they also finding political allies in the political yeah. parties? Yeah, yeah. You're sounding kind of half optimistic. Would you say that? Yeah, so, yeah because I have to be optimistic always <laughs> within this kind of situations. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so you're outlining this picture of the students and academics together. And so is there this strong, is that a solidarity that is there on your campus and on other campuses? Campus, yeah. Mm -hmm. On that very hopeful and positive note, (laughs) I'll say thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me, uh, Gemma, on your podcast. That was Robertus Robert from Jakarta State University. Talking Indonesia will return on the 11th of November. Remember, you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog. Subscribe via iTunes so you'll never miss an episode or find us via your favourite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Thanks for listening and bye for now.